0: kind of a fun town. There's lots of stuff to do, and we, we like where God has us, but we really, really miss uh, being in, in Dallas, the Dallas area, and Plano, and Frisco, and Denton, and just being around this nice weather. Jill said it is, uh, and you might not think it's nice, but it is 16 degrees and, uh, in Chicago this morning, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're thankful to be around where it's, where it's warmer, and certainly warm company as well. Uh, if you haven't seen my daughter yet, how many of you have gotten a chance to see my daughter? All right. I would recommend it if you get a chance to see her. She is growing, growing fast. Uh, she is adorable. She's never met a stranger. And so she would be happy to come running up to you and show you her little Elmo or whatever toy she's got going on. By God's grace, uh, you know, we are in Chicago and she is, uh, you know, she is with me down here. She traveled with me away from her mom. Mom is working in Chicago. And so Jill was kind enough and, and brave enough to let her travel with dad. Uh, down to shoot, down to, to Frisco alone, and we made it in one piece. Um, thinking about being a dad, uh, I am reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of a story I heard about a young pastor who before he, right before he was about to have children, gave a sermon, uh, one Sunday entitled, Everything You Need to Know About Raising Kids. Then shortly after he had kids, he changed the title of that sermon, uh, to, uh, Some Helpful Tips uh, about having kids. Five years later, after he had had several more kids, he now taught, entitled the sermon, uh, feeble hints for fellow strugglers. And then, uh, some years later, after all of his kids were just about grown, he, he called the sermon, anybody got any ideas about parenting? Uh, and that is kind of how I feel is, uh, as we are muddling through it with God's grace, but we love it. We love it. So I would recommend, uh, get quick kids as quickly as possible. Uh, if you don't have any right now, get some more. And, uh, Really, we'll be talking that, about that a little bit today, but uh, if you guys, we we were we spent Christmas in Cincinnati with my family, and I don't know if you guys have family traditions, things that you do every year as a family, things you do together. A lot of families have those kinds of traditions. We don't have a lot of traditions, but one tradition that we do have in the Perry family in Cincinnati when we go there is we take a a Perry family Christmas photo. And it is something that is informal. It's never professionally done. A matter of fact, it's just whoever happens to have the camera on hand. Sometimes we take it with an iPhone. Uh, but I wanted to show you the picture that we have this uh, from this past Christmas. That is uh, the Perry family. And so every Christmas, when we take this picture, we and this one actually I think was an iPhone pick. So we we will take that picture and we will blow it up and frame it, and then we'll put it on our mantle or on our bookshelf. And for that year. We'll show folks that's the that's the Perry family and, and people can come by and see that. Now, a, a quick glance at that photo will reveal that my family is not exactly what you think of when you think of a traditional family. If you're counting, uh, you will count six African-Americans and six Anglo-Americans. Now, we're actually missing an African-American daughter uh, in that picture. And my dad is is taking the photo. And so altogether, that is seven African-Americans and seven Anglo-Americans in my family, and that is the Perry family. Um, whenever we have college students over, we work on campus at the University of Chicago, and we have college students over quite often, and we have photos like this posted of the Perry family Christmas photo, and students come by, and they look at that photo, and they say, who are these people? And I, I quickly respond and say, well, that's, that's my family. That's a Perry family Christmas photo. And I usually get one of two responses. The first response is <laughs> Oh but seriously who are these people? Uh that's the first response laughter and you know uh, disbelief. The second response is silence. And they kind of look at me and I look back at them and they're trying to feel out whether I'm serious or not and then in the silence they're forced to say care to explain? Uh and I I I go on to explain to them that uh this is kind of the unique and what I, what I think is a special thing about my family is that um, when I was four years old in 1984, way back then, my family lived in Texas and we adopted um, a, uh, a little girl from inner city Dallas. And two years later in 1986, when this photo was taken, we adopted another little girl. Uh, the oldest girl is named Beth Elizabeth and the youngest is named Catherine. And uh, literally my first memory, my first real memory as a, as a person, that my clear memory, is, is uh, the day that we actually went to go get Beth, my sister. And so literally my entire life, my brother and I, uh, my brother and my sisters grew up together. And I can't remember a day where we didn't have my sisters in our family. And so this is something that we grew up with. It was something adoption uh, was something we talked about often. It was something that was normal to us. Now, I'm I'm uh, I am kind of surprised, though, whenever we and I find it ironic that when we as Christians get together and we think about this idea of adoption, we think about the idea of a, a family taking children, people that were not biological descendants of theirs and taking them into their family and giving them giving them uh, a new name and, and the rights and privileges of being a, a family and a new family. We still think of that even though it's becoming more common among Christians these days and among people in general and we see celebrities doing it. We still think of adoption, especially uh, a transracial adoption as you see here. We still think of adoption as adoption is something exotic and something strange and something unusual. And I find that ironic especially among Christians because if you are a Christian, we as Christians should know what adoption is like. We know what it's like to be adopted better than anybody because we ourselves if you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been brought into the family of God through adoption. All of us have been adopted. This is something that is a central teaching of the Christian faith, but it's not something that we talk about a lot as Protestants. uh, We tend to focus on other aspects of salvation, like justification and propitiation and sanctification, and even we have arguments about predestination and those kinds of things, and yet so little of our time, uh, even in sermons, uh, I I could count on one hand, as a matter of fact, that maybe I couldn't even count, uh, because I've never heard one, the amount of sermons on adoption, this idea of adoption and God's adopting of us into his family. We need to know about it. Uh, It's important. matter of fact, J.I. Packer, a renowned theologian, wrote in his famous book, it's a classic book called Knowing God. Uh, he wrote, and if you ever get a chance to read this book, I would recommend it to you. He wrote in his book, Knowing God, that our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our understanding of adoption. And that he also goes on to make this outrageous claim, and that you'll find this interesting. He says, uh, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Now, if you're if you're a theologian, you know something about salvation theology uh, and even protestant theology that statement ought to shock you because justification is foundational it is the primary doctrine of how we're even christians we need justification because we are sinful we are uh we are un, un, unable to access god's glory, his righteousness, because we have committed sin. We we are guilty of any condemnation that God would throw at us. And so we need justification. We need God as the righteous judge to say, your sins are forgiven because of the debt Jesus Christ paid for you. I no longer count your sins against you. How could J.I. Packer say that adoption is a higher privilege even than justification? What he means by that is as as wonderful and as, as necessary and as foundational as justification is. When God justifies us, his relationship to us in that scenario is as a judge. As a righteous judge, we are the defendant. Christ is the advocate. And because Christ has paid the debt, the righteous judge, God the Father, has said that we are innocent and we're no longer guilty. So as great as justification is, God's relationship to us in justification is as a judge. But in adoption, the God of the universe relates to us as a father. And he takes us We have no business being the family of God, but he takes us and he calls us his children, his sons and daughters. And that is a higher privilege, higher even than justification is what J.I. Packer means. So we need to know about this. We need to know about this idea. And so uh, we're going to get into the book of Galatians chapter four. If you have a Bible handy, Galatians chapter four. And to give you a little bit of context Uh, Paul's going to give us a nice little outline of adoption, what it means to be adoption, why God has done it in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But to give you some context, uh, you remember the book of Galatians. We've taught through Galatians before as a church. In the book of Galatians, Paul has uh, gone to Galatia, this region in Asia Minor, what is modern day Turkey, has gone to Galatia as a missionary. And shared the gospel with this, all of these people. And so these folks became Christians and Paul stayed with them for a while and helped them grow up in their faith. And when he thought they were mature enough, he went off to do more missionary work. And while Paul is gone, some Jewish Christians, and I should put, put that in quotes because we're not sure if they're Christians, but Jews who call themselves Christians come to the Galatians and say, oh, yeah, what Paul failed to mention was that if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to be Jewish. And so not only do you have to believe in Jesus Christ and all that, you have to become circumcised. You have to follow the law of Moses and all of the regulations, uh, associated with that. And so the Galatians start to buy this. They say, oh, okay, well, I guess, I guess we need to become Jews as well, become circumcised, follow these rules. Paul writes back and hears about this and he freaks out and he writes Galatians. It's his angriest letter. And he is telling them, how could you, how could you forget what I taught you? This isn't the gospel at all. The book of Galatians is Paul's angry letter to the church in Galatia saying, no, these are false teachers. They're giving you a false gospel. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. It's not about adding to it a bunch of rules and regulations. You guys are Gentiles. You've never had to do anything Jewish. Why would you have to start now? All right, so Paul is is writing that. So the first three chapters of Galatians so far have been Paul saying, no, that's a false gospel. Uh, They're leading you astray. Here's the real gospel. And in Galatians chapter four, Paul's going to give us a a little bit of an outline. And you can remember this through four P's. So in in uh, the first P will be our problem. Paul's going to spell out what our problem is. That'll be followed by God's plan of adoption. And then we'll see God's purchase of adoption and lastly, we'll look at God's promises in adoption, all in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So first we see uh, God's plan of adoption, or excuse me, God's, our problem, pardon me, oh, my stuff got, there we go, our problem. See, we see in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, read with me, it says, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. So Paul is actually talking. He's speaking about Jews at that moment. He's talking about Jews who were heirs of the promises of the Messiah. God had promised that there's going to be a savior coming and the Jews uh, are, are the heirs of the covenant. God had promised and so what Paul is saying is that as long as an heir is a child, see, these Jews were were um, under the tutelage of the law. God had sent uh, the book of Moses. God had sent the law of Moses to keep them straight, to say, until the Messiah comes, you've got the law to lead you, to guide you. And you you're responsible to keep the commandments in the law. The only problem is, uh, Paul said, well, this is imperfect. You can't be saved through this law. Uh, It's only kind of exist as a as a master, as a guardian, as a as a tutor. And so what Paul is saying that the Jews under the guardianship of the law are like children and essentially they're being slaves. They're like slaves. They're they're having to be subject to these commands. They're not they don't have a relationship with God as a father. They have a relationship with God as a master who tells them what to do. Now, why is Paul saying this to Gentiles? Paul, Paul's writing to Galatians. they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. Why would Paul be writing about what the Jews had to face as as children under the tutelage of the law and functioning as slaves? Paul is saying, why would you want that? Why would you want to be slaves? You're 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 buying into this Jew, Judaistic Christianity, which is false. Why would you subject yourself to being slaves? God's never asked you to do that. It's not what he has in store for you. And so by by trying to live up to the law, by trying to follow the law of Moses and saying, yeah, this is what it means to be a Christian, following the law of Moses, being circumcised and uh, all of these things about being a Christian. Paul is saying, why would you sign up for being a slave? It's like the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the prodigal son is living a wild life, prostitutes and buying all of these things. And he comes to his senses and he says, I will go back to the father but he doesn't say, I'll come back to the father and, and trust in his grace. He says, man, his servants have it better than I do. What he does is he goes back to his father and says, make me a servant. He said, he goes back to the father and rather than trusting in the father's grace, he says, make me like one of your hired servants. And Paul is saying, that's what like the Gentiles are doing. You're, you're not going and trusting in God's grace. You are trying to say, make me a slave. And that way I can earn salvation. But God has something else in store. He has this glorious plan of adoption that he will bring them into his family. And so we see uh, God's after the problem that we're slaves uh, to the basic principles of this world, slaves to the law, and we're making ourselves slaves. Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God. God. Now, I just want to emphasize that one, this is according to some kind of plan. There's the time had fully come. This this wasn't surprising to God. God had thought about this from the beginning. And we'll see how how far back in a second. But we see when the time had fully come, God, God is initiating this. This is not men and women working their way to God. This is going to be God working his way to us. And so it says when the time had fully come, God does something. We don't know yet, but God initiates something. God had this plan of adoption. It's not something that was plan B. It was plan A. You see this in, uh, explicitly in Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, for he, that's God, chose us in him. It's Jesus. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Now, adopted as sons is this Greek word euthecia. Euthasia Eus means sons and thecia is a is a preposition that means to put. And what it means, euathesia is a, is a Roman legal term that is a reference to the legal placement of a son. Somebody, a, a Roman official, would say, be fond of their servant and not have any kids of, of his own and would say, I want to make this servant my heir. I want to pass on everything in my inheritance, everything, all of my power. I want to pass this on to the servant whom I love and I'm going to place him as a son. Uh, I'll adopt him. See, when when adoption took place in the Roman world, it wasn't cute babies uh, like we often think about today. It was usually uh, teenagers or even adults that were adopted into the family. The people that the, the, the folks doing the adopting knew, knew everything about. Uh, and so that is what Paul is saying. He predestined us. God predestined us before the creation of the world to be adopted as his sons in Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, that's something to think about. It's something to think about that God knew that he was going to adopt us before the creation of the world. He had this plan in mind. It wasn't that Adam sinned and that we, God was like, "Oh, OK, I've got to change up everything. I've got to figure out a way to, to save all these people. God had in mind this idea of this grand story of uh, creating mankind with, a, with a, a will enough to do what they would. And God knowing that they would disobey, creating this way to redeem them and to bring them into his family, back into his family. And so God create, created this idea of adoption and predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. So when the time had fully come, God chose us. Now, just like that in, in, the, in the story of my family adopting, my family adopted, it wasn't a plan B kind of thing. As you see, uh, my brother and I in that picture are six and seven and a half or eight. My brother maybe eight at the time. And so my parents had already had kids. Lots of times, when you see physical adoptions, uh, you see that's often a result of, of uh, a couple maybe struggled with infertility. They weren't able to have their own kids, and they decided that we're we're going to adopt because we want kids, and we this is, this would be a way that we could do that. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing when families who who aren't able to have kids are able to adopt. I think it's a fantastic thing, and I'm not trying to separate those two and say one's better than the other. But in, in the case of my family, adoption was something that they had planned to do, knowing my folks, my folks knew that they could have kids. And yet they felt that God wanted them uh, to adopt. They felt like God wanted them to extend his grace to some little girls that might not experience that grace otherwise. Why did they do this? Well, why did God adopt us? If you go back, if Todd, could you go back to that verse or to the uh, to the Ephesians passage before that? We see in verse six of Ephesians, it says at the very end, why did he do this? Well, he did it to the praise of his glorious grace. See, God had this plan in mind that what was he going to do? He was going to adopt these people who had no right being his children, but he was going to adopt lovingly and graciously adopt us into his family. Why? Is it because he needed us? Is it because he needed us to complete him somehow? No, it was going to be to the praise of his glorious grace. He wanted the universe to step back and marvel and say, wow. God's grace is amazing that he would take these people who have no business being in his family and he would make them sons and daughters and give them all of the rights and privileges associated with that. And just like that in my family, when they adopted these little girls, it wasn't because they uh, needed more kids or because they couldn't have uh, kids of their own, but it was because they felt like God had a plan, wanted them to adopt these two little girls and extend his grace to them. For their own glory no it was so people would step back and say wow isn't god isn't god's grace awesome that he used a family to provide love and a home for these girls who might not experience that otherwise and so god's adoption of us was definitely according to plan but we also see that this adoption wasn't free as as earthly adoptions aren't free they are quite costly in fact uh, so is our heavenly adoption infinitely more costly. We see in Galatians verses or chapter four, verses four and five, uh, it says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. Why did he have to be born of a woman and born under the law? Well, to to justify us to die in our place, uh, Jesus had to be human being for this to, to mean anything. Jesus had to be one of us. And not only was he one of us as a human, he was a Jew born under the law. To do what? To redeem those under the law. So Jesus was born as a human, born under the law to redeem those under the law because he was able to fulfill the law perfectly. He lived it perfectly, never made a sin, never made a mistake, lived it perfectly, and he redeemed us, redeemed those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. And there's that word again, rights as sons, this word for adoption, that we might be placed legally as sons and daughters in the family of God. And so this adoption, our adoption, our spiritual adoption cost. We, all, we often talk about how, you know, God's love is, is unconditional. Uh, and it, it is unconditional for you, but it's not unconditional, period. It has a great high condition, right? It costs Jesus everything. For God to love you, for God to extend his grace to you, it costs Jesus everything. It costs Jesus his life. So we can experience God's unconditional love because Jesus met the condition of God giving love to us. All right. So uh, we had to be redeemed. Now, this word redeem uh, that Paul is using whenever he uses, he uses it's this word ex agarazo, which means to, to purchase or to, to buy back as if you were um, buying, uh, you know, uh, buying some kind of exchange in the marketplace. You, it's, it's to redeem or to buy. And so our redemption, our, our adoption costs something. We had to be purchased in a way. And any of you have know anything about earthly adoption know that that's something similar goes on when we adopt, when we choose to adopt children. When we adopted, um, my sisters. Uh, it cost money to adopt. And it, it cost a lot of money in the 80s and it costs even more money now. I've, I've heard probably $15,000 or, or more to adopt with legal fees and travel and, uh, hospital, uh, expenses depending on, um, who you adopt. That's, uh, there's all these kinds of ways to, to, to figure that out. I won't give you the, the numbers, but those it's, it's very high, right? It's expensive to adopt. And so, um, give you an example. My, my youngest sister, Catherine, when my parents decided to adopt her, we didn't have any money at the time. And, uh, but my folks felt like, you know, God wants us to have this little girl. She's, we, we love her. We want her to be in our family, and, but, and, but we have to pay all of this money to adopt her and money that we don't have. And so my parents prayed and they prayed, God, we need, you know what we need. We need this X amount of thousand dollars to thousands of dollars to to purchase Catherine's adoption. So they prayed about that. and My dad told, tells us that the very next Sunday at church, a family that he hadn't talked to, the family that he hadn't made his uh, made his need known, came up to him and said, "Hey, Dave and Kay, my we feel like uh, we feel like God has laid it on our heart to help you guys out somehow. That we don't we don't know if there's any need, but do you guys have any kind of financial need or anything?" Any kind of need going on, and my dad said, uh, "Well, now that you mention it, we need so many thousands of dollars to 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 adopt Catherine. We're trying to adopt her, but we just don't have the money to do it right now." And the guy said, "Say no more. I'll write you a check." And we were able to adopt Catherine into our family. And just like in the gospel, God knew we, there's this, this 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 debt that needed to be paid. We needed to be redeemed. We needed to be purchased, as it were. And God Himself, by providing His only biological, you know, uh, born of the Holy Spirit's son by providing his son redeemed us, purchased our adoption. And just like that, in, in the adoption of my sister Catherine, God provided himself. God provided the means by which we could adopt Catherine and bring her into our family as a picture of the the gospel that we see. Adoption requires a purchase and God had to purchase our adoption with the life of his son. Well, now that we're purchased, so what? What happens? Well, God Only purchases us, but gives us promises. He gives us promises and adoption. We see in verses, uh, six through seven. We see in verses six through seven, God says, Because you are sons. Now pay attention to those parts that I've highlighted in yellow up there. It says, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So pay attention to those parts in yellow. Because you are a son, you get this. And then he goes on to say, since you are a son, something else happens, right? So there are two promises. The first promise is that we get the Holy Spirit, the spirit that allows us to cry out to God, Abba, Father, to call him Father. Uh, And we get his Holy Spirit. But God has not only done that, but he makes us also heirs. And so in the gospel, by being adopted, we have two promises. We have a now promise and a not yet promise. All right. In the now the now promise. God doesn't just say, hey, you're adopted, uh, you're believers. Good luck trying to live the Christian life. Um, let me know how it works out when you get to heaven. God gives us the Holy Spirit. It's like he's making all of his resources available to us to be able to live the Christian life. He doesn't just say good luck living the Christian life. He gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to transform us, to sanctify us, to have fellowship with us, to intercede on our behalf. God gives us this ability and, uh, to, to interact with him, to walk in the spirit, to walk in his strength with all of these spiritual resources at our disposal. So we have that in the meantime, living as Christian. God gives us his spirit because we are in his family. So that's the now part of adoption. But the not yet promise of adoption is that God makes us heirs. God makes a similar statement, or, or Paul makes a similar statement, almost an identical statement, in fact, in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Paul says... For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption, the same Greek word. You received received a spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Can you believe that? Like that we would be called co-heirs with Christ God's biological, uh, born of the Holy Spirit, God's biological, perfect, flawless son, you and I, because we've been adopted into God's family, have this promise that we are co-heirs with Christ and have rights to everything that Christ receives. Uh, I mean, we're not going to be sitting at the right hand of God, the father, but we get eternity, eternal, eternal fellowship with God, the father. We get glory. We get to experience heaven just as Jesus deserves. We get to be co-heirs with Christ. And so we have this now promise that we get the Holy Spirit and we get to walk in God's strength and have all of his resources at our disposal. And we get the promise, the future promise, the not yet promise of an inheritance in heaven. We're being co-heirs with Christ. And the same thing goes with human adoption, physical adoption with my uh, sisters. When my sisters were brought into our family and adopted into our family, we didn't have a situation where it was like Cinderella, right? Like where, uh, you remember Cinderella where, uh, Cinderella's dad marries this, uh, woman with two kids already and the dad dies. And so all of a sudden Cinderella is kind of an adopted girl by this mother. And she's got her two daughters who get all of the resources and get all the nice things. They get the dresses, they get the parties, get all these things. And they're horrible people. And then Cinderella is pretty much a slave in the house. Do you remember that? Right, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, my sisters got every resource, and some would say I I think they got a bit more. I, I, I I would, you know, some of the some of the cars that were that were happened to be passed down to 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 my little princess sisters. I I thought they got a a bit more uh, than than the sons. But anyways, they according to my parents, you know, they they got everything, every kind of resource that we, as my brother and I, as biological sons, got. It was all even. So they got this now promise from my parents that everything we have, the love that we have to give, the attention that we have to give, the resource, the material resources that we can give you to to succeed uh, in life, to go on to college if you need help with cars, those kinds of things my sisters had access to just like me and my brother, uh, my brother and I had access to. So they got this now promise of all of my parents' attention, love and resources that they could give. In this life, but my sisters also get the not yet promise that my brother and I got. I am the executor of my 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 parents' will, and so I know exactly what is expected if my parents happen to pass on, uh, um, and that is even down between the four of us. I don't get one dime as as a biological son of my of my parents. I don't get one dime more than my adopted sisters will get. We all get it even, and so God says that we are. Uh, not only get the promised the, the resources in this life, but we also get this co-heir uh, relationship with Christ. And we get the exact same inheritance that Jesus himself deserves and rightfully gets in heaven. That's a wonderful thing to think about. I mean, and it's uh, shocking. It should blow you away that we would be able to have that kind of inheritance waiting for us. And so we see in the gospel, this this grand picture, this picture of redemption and adoption that God has given us, we see this problem the Galatians are facing. They're, they're trying to be religious. They're trying to follow all of these rules, and they're really making themselves slaves. They're making themselves slaves, and they're, and they're getting worked up and saying, we've got to do all of these things uh, to be Christians, to be real Christians, and we want to be real Christians, and so we've got to do all these things to be uh, God's people, God's children. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's not how adoption works at all. God has this plan. He 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 chose you. He initiated. He chose you to be his sons and daughters. And he purchased you with his own son, with the life of his own son. He purchased us and redeemed us so that we could be brought into his family. And now that we are in his family... We have this now promise, the promised Holy Spirit who gives us strength and power and peace and all of the resources at God's disposal to live this Christian life. And we have this glorious not yet inheritance that we look for, uh, that we look forward to in heaven. We are co-heirs with Christ, this glorious picture of adoption. This is something that should, should transform the way we think about our relationship with God. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we have to do. It's not rules. It's not, uh, it's not obedience to some kind of Ten Commandments uh, thing as if that would make us uh, more sons and daughters of God. But we've already been given that. If you have trusted in Christ for the salvation of your sins, you are a son. You are a daughter of the king and nothing can change that. That ought to shake you. That ought to that ought to change the way you think about God's grace to you, his glorious grace that he that that, that was that was so wonderful that he would sacrifice his own biological son just to have you in the family. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but but God has given that to us. And so how does how does that change the way we live? It it might be, you know, it might be easy just to kind of close up the sermon and say, hey, let's think about that. That's nice. Uh, But that really ought to change the way we think about um, the way we relate to people as well. There's some application that needs to be done. What I want to ask you to consider is how does our vertical adoption, God's adoption of us, affect the way we think about horizontal adoption and the way uh, families adopt children, or even if they don't adopt children, the way they take care of children who need to be taken care of. In order to give you some perspective on how our vertical adoption might affect the way we think about horizontal adoption, I want to give you some sad facts. Sad fact number one, about 147 million orphans in the world To put that in perspective for you, that's about half the United States, half the population of the United States globally uh, are orphans, orphans by famine, orphans by abandonment or neglect, orphans because uh, parents died of of HIV, which is often the case in Africa, Uh, those kinds of things. But there are 147 million orphans in the world. To bring that closer to home, there are 400,000 children, over 400,000 children In the U.S. foster care system, that actually has come down about 100,000 in the last five years, uh, largely, I think, because kids are being placed with families. Um, But that's over 400,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. Uh, To bring that even closer to home, 31,000 children in foster care in Texas. Again, to put this in perspective, that's about as many kids as there are Christian churches. Uh, So if every... If, if a family from every Christian church in Texas decided to adopt, or tried to de- decided to make some way to, to provide a family for these kids, we'd have no kids in foster care uh, in Texas. But that's what we're faced with. Well, James, in the book of James, chapter one, verses uh, verse 26 and 27, he makes this statement. He says, religion that God, our father, remember, this is and this is crazy that I'd never thought about this until I thought about this sermon. Religion that God, our father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now, why does he say God, our father? I mean, it's almost like he's calling back to the idea of, remember, God is your father. You remember why you can say God is your father? Because God was so gracious to make himself your father, to adopt you into his family. So religion that God, our father, wink, says is pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. And so the kind of faith, the kind of religion that, that God, our heavenly father, thinks is 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 righteous, is pure and faultless is to to look after widows and orphans in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so when we are faced with these facts, when we're faced with the great need of orphans, kids uh, in this world who need help, kids in our country who need help, kids in this state who need help and we're faced uh, with our own adoption as, as, as children uh, of God, and we are confronted with this statement of James that says, God our Father, uh, you know, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to, to look after widows and orphans. We've got some questions to consider. And these questions are, uh, at least two. The questions I would ask are, one, how can our church incorporate, uh, a focus for adoption and orphan care ministry? And the second would be, how can my family, and I'm talking about you, how can my family contribute to adoption or orphan care? I've just got some ideas. I'm not saying that these things have to, uh, I just want to end with some ideas maybe to, to consider, to pray about, to think about. As a church, what would be some ideas, maybe some ways we could promote adoption and orphan care ministry? One, orphan care could be incorporated into Bend Missions. If we go to Guatemala, if we go to Chiapas, um, if we go to Africa, if we go overseas for any kind of reason where there is a great orphan crisis, uh, something we could consider is the way that we could also you know if we're ministering to people in villages, if we're if we're providing water filtration systems, which are all wonderful, needed, necessary things. There's also a great need to to take care of orphans. And how could we how could we incorporate that into what we're doing? How could we figure out a way to make that a part of how we're ministering to the people that we're ministering to? How could we incorporate that? A second, assuming there is an interest. Willowbin could establish a fund to provide loans for Willowbin families who want to adopt. If there are young families here who, who would like to adopt, adoption can be an expensive, scary kind of thing. Something that sometimes the money almost feels prohibitive in that, you know, I'd love to adopt. Man, this money is some kind of insurmountable thing. Remember, money's not an insurmountable thing. My parents prayed for it. God provided it for him. I'm not saying he'd do the exact same thing in the exact same way. But a way he could provide for it is that if Willowbin were, were able to, on the basis of, Donations that were given for this reason were able to establish some kind of a fund that we would provide, uh, no interest loans for families who say, we want to adopt, we don't have the money right now, and, uh, assuming Willoughbyn, you know, makes, goes through all the necessary steps to, to make sure that loans would be paid back, those kinds of things. Willoughbyn could establish a fund. Churches do this all the time. Another thing that churches do all the time, who are interested in orphan care and adoption been could partner with or support orphan care ministries promoting adoption or orphan care. There's all kinds of parachurch organizations doing these kinds of things, facilitating this. As a matter of fact, this is actually what I'm writing my dissertation on: is adoption in the United States and why people are doing it and how they're doing it. And uh, um, and this is something uh, you know I'm I'm obviously because of my own personal experiences very interested in, but something I feel like is is something that we as as believers probably should be a part of as a church some ideas as a family for you personally those are church ideas for us as a, a community of believers what about us as uh, you individual and in your in your own family i would encourage you to pray about adoption uh if you're a young family young couple um even if you even if you got kids i mean we got kids my 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 family had kids when they adopted and that was kind of the plan to say you know adoption needs to be about a, a part of something that we do as a family um pray about it and if you're not if you if you feel like hey I've raised my kids too old I'm not you know I'm not going to not going to adopt I don't feel like God is calling me to do that well if he's not calling you to adopt how could you maybe pray about how could you promote or partner with support or sponsor families who are adopting just like this guy at at my church and in, in in at you know Fellowship Bible Church in 1986 how could this you know this guy just kind of came up to my family and said hey what what can I bless you guys with how can I help you guys in what you're trying to do and say that we need money to adopt. And the guy said, well, I happen to have money to help you out. And so I'd be glad to do that. How could you sponsor, support families, not only financially, but prayerfully helping them get information, helping them get connected to resources because adopted families are, it's it's tough to adopt sometimes. And there's all kinds of, Uh, counting, especially if people adopt special needs kids, there's even greater need there. And so people need things beyond just money, but they need additional resources and access to other people that they can talk to and get counsel from. How could you sponsor or support families who are engaged in adoption, uh, because it's a wonderful thing and something I feel like, um, as I've tried to demonstrate today, something that reflects the gospel, uh, almost like no other relationship that I know of. Uh, something that we should participate in as a church. Uh, that Jill and I want to participate in as a family and that I hope you and your family would want to participate in as well. And so I'll conclude with these thoughts. As Christians, we've been given a glorious uh, privilege to call God our Father. To be given access to His love, His attention, and His resources, and His infinite resources. And to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, spending eternity with the Father and having access to His glory. May the grace that God has extended to us in adoption. Motivate us to extend grace to children around the world and in our city who need him. Let's pray together. God, I am. Uh, when I talk about adoption, I, I am. It's obviously personally relevant to me because it's meant so much to my family and who I who I am as a person, person in, in all of our uh, the Perry identity. Uh, we have been a part of an adoptive family for as literally as long as I can remember. And, uh, I'm grateful for that privilege of being a part of that kind of family. Uh, what my sisters have meant to me and, and, um, and even the way that's, that's shaped the way I think about children and the way I think about the way you want us to minister to people in need. God, our adoption, uh, our spiritual adoption, as great as physical earthly adoption is, our spiritual adoption, uh, is infinitely more wonderful and glorious. Uh, God, it cost you an infinite price. You had this plan of adoption that you would amaze the world uh, with your grace and extending your grace to people who had no business calling you father. And yet you redeemed us. You purchased our adoption with the life of your son. You've brought us into your family and you've given us these wonderful promises. You've given us the promised Holy Spirit who guides us, who teaches us, who who transforms us by the power of your word, making us into the kind of people that you want to be and giving us the strength and the the resources to be able to serve you in this life. And you've given us this glorious inheritance to be in heaven with you one day and to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Let us never get over how wonderful that is. Let us think about adoption as quick as we are to think about our justification, how wonderful that is. And our sanctification, how necessary that is. Let us think about our adoption and how how high a privilege that is to be called your sons and daughters. We love you. We thank you that we can call you our Father. Through Christ, in Jesus' name I pray.